Gave, we stalled just long enough to give everybody a Bible. And I want to encourage you to open to Philippians chapter 4. Joe and David did such a good job of leading us this morning, preparing us to think about where we're at next. Just a lot of cookies up here. This morning, I, I want to... I want to let God's word talk to us about worry. Just thinking about this topic this week in this next section, does a junior hire worry? Does a junior hire have anxiety? Are there things in your life that are sort of putting you on this search for peace? And I think so. As we approach this subject about worry and to help us think about anxiety, we, we have to we have to go just a little bit deeper than some of those surface things that we typically think about with worry. I think for most of the guys in the room, like your worry like is associated with video games. <laughs> like you play video games and your hands are like clammy and sweaty and it's gross. <laughs> Because you're worried about the game. Girls, like your anxiety level rises when, I don't know, you can tell I didn't have sisters. Like you can't find your makeup or you're just having a bad hair day and you're just like, ah, I'm not going. But that's not the anxiety or the, the worry that I want to talk about this morning. It's, it's way more than just the wrong clothes it's way more about oversleeping. It's, it's more than just like, you know, that's your last Sunday in junior high for some of you. There's more than that. Anxiety and worry doesn't just stop there. There are other things in life much more serious, much more weighty that can cause a young teenager to worry. Something else happening far more serious. I read this article and... and Time Magazine a while ago, and I think it can help us understand some of the issue as to why there are such levels of worry and anxiety in junior hires today. This article is really long. I'll spare you a lot of it, but its point was this, that today's teenagers are really searching for like a momentary escape. They're looking for a, a, a way out from the anxiety. They're fighting constantly about grades and the future, about relationships, even weird things happening because of social media and the pressure they feel to, to just post this perfect person. All that stuff is giving them this desperation for relief Article made a point that young teens today have a reputation for being a little more fragile, less resilient, more overwhelmed even than their parents were when they were growing up. Sometimes they're called spoiled or coddled or helicoptered or whatever, but those words are just mean. Closer look paints a far more heartbreaking portrait of why young people are worried and anxious. Anxiety in junior high and high school kids have been on the rise since about 2012. After several years of stability, it's a phenomenon that's cutting across all demographics, which just means it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter 
what your last name is or what your family's like, it's affecting teens everywhere. And a few years ago, it was reported that over 6 million young teenagers have some kind of anxiety disorder. 6 million teens are, are struggling with anxiousness and worry. And the scary part about this little article A lot of experts believe that number probably only reflects 25% of reality. There's much more anxiousness and worry in the life of a young teenager. Again, perhaps most important is that you're developing into your teenage years at a time when technology and social media have absolutely transformed society. So you're worried about all these things that teenagers before you were worried about, but your list seems to be a little bit longer. You're worried about school. That hasn't changed. A little more worried about your family, maybe because of the way the culture is shaping up, depending on how much news you're watching. Getting hit every day with things about the climate, which maybe some of you don't care too much about. You're hearing a lot of issues with tolerance. It's making you think about stability. It's making you think about what tomorrow might look like. Hate crimes are up. Terrorism's up. I would just say sin is more prevalent than it's been in a long time because of social media. You have access to all this and it can bombard a young teen's life. Another way to say that is every bit of news just has a way of feeling a little more personal. Instead of just news happening in the world, you're starting to think about it as news happening in your world. And because of that, worry is much higher than it used to be. Now, I don't know how much of this article we would agree with, but I do believe that junior high students have always dealt with worry and anxiety and I believe there are some circumstances in our world right now that are causing you more worry than some of the junior hires before you. Why is this a problem? Well, for the young Christian, you're called to rejoice in the Lord. This is what we've been talking about for several weeks here in the letter to the Philippians. Young believers, even young teenage believers, are called to have joy in their life. They're to have this permanent joy, this fixed joy, this joy that's real, this joy that doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on how the hair looks today or how much we overslept. It doesn't depend on how much we're struggling with this video game or whatever, we're we're, we're called to have real joy. We're called to have this lasting joy and life that's meant to be one that has then, just by way of, of thinking through it, a life of peace and a life of stability and a life of security. As we've been learning from Paul, again, that has nothing to do with anything that we've done. That's not because of us. That's not because we're awesome and we've just figured out how to crush life. That's not it at all. This joy that we have and this security that we have is only because of one thing, and that's because of our relationship with Christ. Yet our culture seems to be creating this perfect scenario where life is increasingly becoming more difficult to maintain that joy that we're called to have. 
I don't know if this is right or true, but I'm just thinking about it this way. Maybe 20 years ago, a junior hire had 10 things to worry about. And now today, it seems like that list might be 100 things. And that's just a lot. That's a, that's a lot. So how does a, a young Christian, how does a Christian maintain their joy in a scenario like this, in a culture like this, where it seems like it's hard to have this peace that we're meant to have. It's hard to have this joy that we're supposed to have. How do we do this? What are we supposed to do? As we return to Philippians this morning, we're going to be reminded again that believers are to be those who can rejoice and should rejoice. But it's a specific joy. It's a joy in the Lord. There are to be those who have joy in life, a joy that's stable, or to have this permanent joy, even in the midst of a life where there is much to be worried about, much to be anxious about, that a Christian can still have joy. As we think about the last couple messages here in Philippians, I just, I want to remind you, I want to walk you back through it one more time. We know that God has to tell us to fight for joy, even as believers, we have to guard our joy. There's a reason why he's saying you need to rejoice in the Lord. And there's something that then that can take that joy, that can lessen that joy, that can steal that joy that we're meant to have. And what would that be? Well, just kind of going back through chapter three, it's anything that diminishes Christ, anything that makes more of you and your own life and makes you know Jesus less important. That's going to lead you to a place where joy is not. And Paul warns about this in the opening of chapter three. He goes right into this false teaching, this adding works to the gospel idea. And just to break it down for you again, it's, it's just adding works to the gospel is saying, you know, what Jesus did on the cross, it's really not enough. What Jesus did to pay for your sin, it's close, but you're going to have to help Jesus get all the way. You're going to have to help Jesus really pay for your sin in total. And that puts too much on you. And Paul hammers that in those first 11 verses of chapter three. That, that's too much emphasis on you. If Jesus isn't enough to save us, why would he be enough for anything else? That's why Paul says what he does to him. There's nothing more valuable than his relationship with Christ. He puts zero confidence in who he is. And he had a lot of things to be confident about. His works, he had a good list. And he's like, that stuff, it's nothing. It's Jesus. Christ is so sufficient. And because Paul understands that he's saved by Christ, by the gospel of Christ, for him, there is a permanent reason for joy. It doesn't depend on him. And that's so relieving for Paul, and it should be for us too. It doesn't depend on us. It's, it's Christ, and what he's done is so sufficient. So... I would say it this way, to have this joy, Christians need to think right about their Savior, and then number two, think right about sin. We saw that in verses 12 to 16. Sin in the life of a believer is going to rob you of assurance. It, it has a potential to do that. To do that. A, a side effect of sin sometimes in a young believer's life is to go, wait a second, am I really saved? 
And that sort of mindset creates uh, a pattern in your life where you're going to be robbed of joy. You're going to doubt what God's done. It's going to stunt your spiritual growth. It's going to keep you from growing in your faith. Tough to maintain joy in a, in a mindset like that. Not only is there joy in knowing Christ, but there is also tremendous joy in living the way Christ calls us to live. So we have to grow in our faith. Think right about our Savior. Believers need to make sure they're thinking right about sin. And verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1, I would say we need to think right about our citizenship. Christians are to guard against worldliness. We saw that last week. Letting your heart be infatuated with the world, well, of course, that's just going to rob you of joy. It's going to steal your joy. This world is full of joy substitutes, of things that look like they're going to satisfy you, things that look like they're going to fill your life with joy, but they're phony. They're not They're not real. They're going to try to convince you that they can fill that heart of yours that's looking for joy so much. We didn't get to it last week, but I would say one of my favorite sort of ways to think about this, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, apart from God, who can have joy? Solomon was a guy I know a lot of you are familiar with, but let me just talk about him for a second. A man who had not only wisdom, but incredible wealth. God blessed him very much with wisdom and wealth, and Solomon had a a little experiment. He tried to pursue joy and happiness outside of God. He thought, let's see if I can actually, because of my wisdom and wealth, acquire the kind of joy that God can give. And his experiment was full out. He did everything he could possibly think of to try to find joy in this world apart from God. And his results of this experiment led him to a question like this, a question that the answer is obvious. In fact, he called the results of his sort of experiment vanity. It was like chasing after wind. It was like I could get so close to it and I almost had it. And when I thought I had it in my hands, I realized it was gone. It wasn't really what it was. I could never actually get the joy that I thought the world was offering. So again, apart from God, who can find joy? Well, there is no joy. Solomon ends his letter of Ecclesiastes, his book with this. The end of the matter is this. It's all been heard. I've said what I wanted to say, and he said, this is the point. You need to fear God, and you just need to keep his commandments. You need to understand who God is, and you need to submit your life to him, and and you need to follow his plan for your life. And there's joy in that. It's a good reminder to a lot of us potentially this morning here who maybe haven't put our faith in Christ who've been in junior high for a couple years, maybe it's your first year and you've heard this gospel and you've been thinking about this reality. Good reminder, what joy is there in this life for you apart from Christ? The answer is gonna be the same as Solomon's. Apart from God, you'll have only a worldly joy, a joy that is like chasing the wind. And you've experienced it. 
I'll be, I'll be, I'll be so happy if I could just get this thing. <laughs> and a week later, where is that? I don't even know where I left it. <laughs> and I'm on to the next thing. Why? Because the wind moves and I'm chasing joy just, just like that, never truly satisfied. But for the Christian, there is joy in the Lord. And there are, again, numerous things in life that are trying to take away your joy that you're meant to have in Christ. And one more for the believers this morning to be aware of. Young Christians need to worry about this, need to be on guard against this. And it's worry, anxiety being overwhelmed by life. When that stuff happens and you're so overwhelmed by worry, it's going to leave you joyless. You can think of it this way. Worry and joy can never be friends. Worry and joy can never coexist. You can't have a a worry and joy sandwich. It's just not possible. Our big idea this morning Instead of worrying, instead of being anxious, God can guard my life with his peace. It's going to help us have the joy that we're meant to. I don't need to worry. I don't need to be anxious. God can guard my life with his peace. Let's start in verse 2 of chapter 4. We'll read our text and see how we can have this incredible promise that's here in verse 7. Philippians 4.2, I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's this great promise, peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or comprehension. It'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So rather than allowing worry to consume us or anxiety to consume us with all these factors in our culture, believers are instructed to have the peace of God in their life instead. These are the things here that they need to do, possibly stuff that they're not doing, what Paul is instructing them. I I believe it's what they are not doing. They're missing out on God's peace because they're not doing what they should be. And as we talk about it this morning, I just want you to know that could be true of you as well. You might be overrun by worry and anxiety this morning because you're not doing what God is calling you to do. I just want to say I've worried about stuff before. I, I think you guys have too. I bet you have. And it's not that great, is it? It's a horrible feeling. And it, it sort of has a way of just consuming the day and ruining a moment, sometimes lasting a really long time. Instead of that, we can have lives that enjoy the peace of God. And we need this. And, and this is really how to do it. 
Before this promise in verse 7, Paul gives three sort of principles here, three exhortations here that we must consider in order for us to embrace this promise of God's peace. Okay, and here they are. Number one, to replace worry, have God's peace in your life instead, you need to restore broken relationships. That might surprise you, but that's precisely where Paul goes first. I entreat Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord, Paul says. And then he talks about the true companion. You need to help these women in verse 3. They've labored with me side by side in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers who are there in Philippi too. Paul's calling these two ladies to fix this broken relationship, this relationship that for sure is interfering with the joy that they're meant to be experiencing as Christians. So Paul's using really strong language here. He's entreating them strongly and seriously just urging them to to make this right. It's a serious request. Um, It's kind of like at the end of the day, when your mom or your dad gives you that, just it's just a little bit of a different tone, kind of a go to bed. And, and you know, like, oh, that's it. <laughs> that's the one I need to go. Like me staying on the couch here for any longer, like I'm risking my life. <laughs> like I need to move. That's this. It's serious. It's, it's, you need to do this right, right now. You need to make this right. Paul says, ladies, please restore this broken relationship. Agree in the Lord. Recognize all the similarities that you two have as Christians. You're both children of God, saved by Christ. You worked with me, Paul says. You're you're key women in the church, which just kind of helps us think about them. They're they're really influential. They were great examples, I'm sure, to many. I'm assuming they've led many other believers to the Lord. They've been so impactful in so many people's life. And now to watch them fight, it's so bizarre. It's so disruptive. Something's come between them and we don't really get the details. We don't know what it is, but you know what we do, what we do learn? It can happen to anybody. It can happen to anyone. It doesn't matter how mature you are, how long you've been a Christian or how much you think you've got something figured out or even a relationship that you think this will never happen. It can happen. It's happened to these two. None of us are immune from issues that can divide us and this division is robbing them of the joy they're meant to have. So again, it could have been something small, a comment or two made by one of them. Maybe it's something big, uh, a real nasty Instagram post or something. I don't know what it is, but it's it's happened and it's hurtful and it's divided them. Paul knows that it's happened and he isn't just going to let it continue. There needs to be forgiveness and restoration. And, and notice what Paul says in verse three. He knows that these two godly ladies, that they need some help figuring this out, and he calls the whole church to get involved. All of you, come on, help them. Jump in here and and help these two bury the hatchet. It's interesting because this first part here seems like a a personal 
sort of exhortation, a personal part to this letter. Like, ah, this doesn't really have to deal with us. This is just sort of the church in Philippi and these two ladies. What's there here for us? But it's a great principle for all of us. Your life will never be truly worry-free. You'll never really be able to experience the joy that you're meant to have in the Lord if you have broken relationships all over the place. If there are people that you're like, I don't want to talk to them. Oh, I'm not going over there. Oh, I got to go this way and just let me just get to my seat and kind of do one of these until church starts. Like you're never going to have the joy you're meant to have. How can we ever truly be worry-free if we have broken relationships like this? Again, that just puts our joy back into a worldly joy. It's limited by circumstances again. I'm only going to be happy if so-and-so is not there. I'm only going to be joyful if I can you know, pull this thing off for, for so long. So we have to think right about those broken relationships. If we really want to have the joy that we're meant to have in the Lord, we, we need to maybe ask for forgiveness. We need to talk to that person. We need to make things right. That's what Paul says. And sometimes we need help to do that. And that can be a, a great place where your parents can jump in or maybe a, a small group leader can jump in and help you repair a relationship like that. It's serious to Paul and it's connected to the peace in our lives. If we truly want peace and joy, we, we have to work hard at unity with one another. And not only that, but number two, you have to restore broken relationships. And number two, I'll just say it this way, be kind, verses four and five. Paul says again, here's just a reminder, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Again, that's what all this is about. He said it in chapter three. He's saying it again. Don't forget what we're talking about here. Have joy in the Lord and If you want that, you got to pay attention here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Christians are to be joyful. We're to have permanent joy in the Lord. It affects our relationships with one another. Man, it's going to affect the way we interact with each other too. These two are, are very connected, these first two making sure that we're, we're working hard to restore and also the relationships that we have, working hard to keep them good, being kind to each other. Verse five, we're to let our, our reasonableness be known. What does that word mean? It just, honestly, it's a word that means kind. That's what it means. Courteous, gentle, that's what it's about. It's, it's not insisting on your own way. It's, it's, it's not insisting on something that you feel like you deserve. Rather, you just be kind and considerate. It's exactly what Paul was talking about in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than your, yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, Paul says, but also to the interests of others. That's what this is. There's the, there's the spelled out meaning. Just, just consider other people as well. If we're going to have God's peace in our life, we need to live this way. And why? Why are we to be reasonable? What reason or motivation does Paul give us? Well, notice what he says, because the Lord is at hand. It means the the Lord is near. He's close. And of course, it's true that, that 
As God, you know, Jesus knows all things. He sees everything. There's nothing hidden from Christ. So in essence, he is close. He's near all the time. But Paul has something a little more in mind here. He's saying that Jesus' return is close. The time when he could come back, it's near. It's next. There's nothing else that needs to happen in order for Christ to return at any moment. And it's meant to be encouraging to us as we think about how we treat each other. So if I want a life of joy, if I want a life of, I don't know, just to be worry-free, a life to be guarded by God's peace, I need to think about my relationships with friends and family, other relationships that I need to fix, and the relationships that are good, am I, am I doing my best to make sure that they stay good? Am I being kind? And my motivation is that at any moment I could see my Savior's face. How do I want him to find me? Do I want him to, f- to come back in the middle of me being rude? <laughs> Lacking charity as I yell at my sister or brother or whatever. Insisting on being in the bathroom first. That would be, <laughs> that would be a tough one. Oh, I just want to be kind. So if you want God to guard your life with peace, be kind. Number three, really helpful too. Not only do we work on our relationships, but we need to also pray about everything. Verse six. I've heard our own Dr. Scott say it this way. Don't worry about anything. Rather pray about everything. That's a great sentence. Don't worry about anything, rather pray about everything. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that, make sure you understand that. He's not saying that because he thinks that they don't really have anything to worry about. Like, oh, you big babies, grow up. No, not at all. He knows their life is really hard, which is why he's trying to make sure they understand they need to be praying about this. He knows their life is bad. And I mean, to be fair, it's what dominates so much of this letter. He's in encouraging them in chapter one that as they deal with persecution and chapter two, why they need to work on unity, why they need to have this joy in Christ. He's all over it. Why they need to be on guard against false teaching, all this stuff that's attacking them. And they have a lot going on, but Paul still confidently says, don't worry, pray instead. Just pray. Talk to, talk to God about it. And you may think, man, why? Like, how, how is it that Paul can say that with all those circumstances? How can he say that to them? And is that what God is saying to me? Like, really? Like, don't worry? Just pray? Even with my circumstances, this thing that's going on in my life? I just shared this really, you know, really intimate detail of my life with, with a friend, and they told everyone, and Even in the midst of that, I'm to just not worry, but pray? Or what about the circumstances that that I'm facing at home? In my family, your advice is, is, is don't worry? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Paul's instruction to the Philippians, it's just as true for us today. And Again, don't worry, not because your circumstances aren't tough, but don't worry and listen to me because of the one who's in control. You don't need to worry 
because you have a God who's in control, sovereignly in control. The Bible tells us all over the place of the comfort and security that we have knowing that God is sovereign and he's accomplishing precisely what he intends to accomplish in my life through every circumstance, all of it. It's all part of his perfect plan for you. Psalm 1830, this God, his way is perfect. And as we think about that, as we think about his love for us and his care for us, you need to know that he's told you to pray. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15, the author there writes, because of our high priest, because of Christ, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive, listen, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Worrying is such a tricky thing, such a weird little thing. We, we do it honestly because I think we don't like to admit that we're not in control. So rather than going to the one who is, we get anxious and we worry and we stress and we mess up everything. Why? Just because we want to be in control so bad. But it's such a relief to know that we're not. I have a bunch of things that I could talk about, a lot of illustrations of moments that I have messed this up so bad. But there is one that I think really stands out to me the most. It was several years ago. It was a summer camp. Things were awesome. We had such a great camp, a few hiccups here and there, but everything overall was great. And we were getting ready to leave. Camp was over and just waiting on the buses. And I decided to to get to the church. So I, I left right as we knew the buses were on their way up the mountain so I could be there and have everything ready for the arrival of the students. And all of a sudden my phone starts to ring. <laughs> buses aren't here. It's weird. Where are the buses at? One hour turns to two, two turns to three. Where are the buses? Finally, word comes out that one of the buses had gotten stuck and the delay just turned into like a 12-hour ordeal. Parents had heard, that because this is just how things happen, they had heard that like the buses were engulfed in flames and tumbling down the mountainside. And so my phone's ringing and parents are like, what's happened? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and so I spent so many minutes, and I'm using minutes because I'm embarrassed to say hours, just so worried And do you know what it got me? Nothing. It didn't get me a single thing, except I drove Leah absolutely crazy. Worry, it's it's such a tricky thing, but we're, we're called to just take our problem to the Lord, to the one who's in control. Did you hear what that verse said in Hebrews? Why pray? Hebrews 4.16, so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When things are a mess, you don't need to worry, you just need to pray. That's what Paul says here. 
All this gets us to where Paul is so eager to go. If we restore our relationships that are broken and we're, we're kind to one another and we try to pray more rather than fighting for control, here's the result, verse seven. Here's this most beautiful promise. This unexplainable peace from God will come into your life. And what does it do? This is such a great verse. You should circle it and highlight it and do all that stuff. It it guards your heart. This peace guards your mind. Guard is such a helpful word because it means to provide security. It means to protect. It means to keep safe. This heart and this mind of yours that's so prone to worry. What's God doing? He's just saying, give me this fragile ground of yours and I'll keep it safe. I'll guard it and you don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of it. Truth is, you'll know it's from God. That's what Paul says because there's not gonna be a human explanation for it. You have all these potential reasons to just make you feel like your world's upside down and yet you'll have this peace that's unexplainable and people around you will say, how are you so calm right now? And you get the joy of saying, because my God's in control. And he's guarding my heart and my mind with his peace because he promises to do it. I don't know if you've experienced that promise, but I have. It's it's amazing when God gives you that peace that you just can't quite explain. It's amazing truth and we need it and this is really how to have it. You guys, there's a huge list of things that huge list of things that can steal your joy, that can cause you to be overrun with worry and anxiety. And we want God's peace instead. And I think what Paul's talking about here is so helpful. These are the, these are the big three. These are the main three things that are gonna cause you to worry. Of course, it's relationships with people. And of course, it's because we're so sinful and we're fighting for control. And if we can get this right, if we can start to apply this, if you can put this into your life now in junior high, oh, the the worry that you're gonna save yourself from, the waste of worry that you'll spare your day from, this is how to have it. By the way, let me just remind you that this isn't wide open for everyone. If, If you're not a believer this morning, this piece isn't for you. It's reserved for those that belong to God, for those who've put their faith in him, for those who who follow him, who've put their trust in the gospel for salvation. That piece is available for you. But if you haven't done that, there is no peace. There is no guard for your life. Scary reminder of the kind of life that you can expect. But if you are saved this morning, this promise of God's peace, it's amazing And I'll just tell you this, not not to scare you, but just to help you understand. It's a promise that you're going to need. You're going to need it. This is how to have it. Father, thank you for just our time in your word this morning, God. It's so rich and good and helpful. Lord, we are so blessed by it. We're so benefited because of your instruction to us. Father, I pray as I often do that you would take a message like this, Lord, you would help it to go much farther than my words can take it.
Lord, that you would be so good as to help this be a a lasting and impactful message for some of our graduating eighth graders, Lord, that they would take this to high school with them and Lord, just be those who are guarded by your peace no matter what. Father, I pray too that you would even use these words or to lead some to salvation, that you would use this promise or to help someone who's just so overrun by worry, Lord, to see their need for you. Father, that you'd be so kind and good to save a young soul this morning. God, thank you again for our church. Thank you for this ministry, Lord, that we get to meet like this and we get to sing and study your word. And God, we're so blessed. We're so thankful. Pray you just be with us now as we head to second hour. Lord, there's still much to learn this morning and there's still time to to worship and benefit from your word, Father. Write these truths on our heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.